Welcome to the final episode in 2023 of the Teaming Up podcast. Tony and Casey come together to talk about the highs and the lows of marketing and PR in 2023. Will we talk about the same things you're thinking? You'll have to tune in and find out. Be sure to subscribe to the Teaming Up podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss a future episode. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. We are recording the last podcast of 2023, and today we've got two behind-the-scenes podcast producers. So joining me today is Tony Sita. Tony, you're at Hodges. Hi, Casey. I'm so excited for today's podcast. This is a bit of a pivot because this year we were having guests from outside come in, and we decided to take this one in-house and make it more of a reflective episode of marketing moments and highlights and peaks and valleys of 2023. I'm looking forward to it. So let's waste no time. Tony and I don't know what each other is bringing to the table. So there is maybe an 85% chance we have the same two, but let's see where the conversation goes. So to kick things off, Tony, what is a marketing or communications peak of 2023? I thought a lot about this, and there's a lot of things to pick from. Um, And I'm thinking maybe I have an idea of what you are going to do, so I'm going to try to zag a little bit, and we'll see if we did. I'm going to go with Barbenheimer. That's what I went with, so you zagged (laughs) in the wrong direction. (laughs) I think that was just one of the most interesting stories of the year. It was really a communications success, even though... It was kind of a ground up thing, right? This is the thing that fans noticed that these movies were going to be out at the same time. Of course, like it was made possible by the marketing work that I think it was like Universal and um, Warner's. So it's like not even the same. The two movies are not even from the same studios. Mm -hmm. Um, But the marketing that they did teed this up and then the community really ran with it. I learned a a phrase when I was researching called counter-programming, where the studios or producers, it's like they'll pit two movies that are complete opposites from each other. Um, I just thought everything was so brilliant. And it's like they had a lot going against them because it's they premiered these movies and then the writer's strike happened. So there was some things from a marketing perspective that they maybe could or couldn't have done. Um, but I just think, I mean, granted, they did have multi-million dollars of marketing budgets. And sure. they did collaborative products. And I feel like everything had a Barbie special edition. But the organic word of mouth element of it, I mean, they had thousands of creators on social media doing marketing for them that weren't compensated or paid. Yeah. I mean, I know people, well, I guess it's hard to say because I was like people who wouldn't normally see the Barbie movie, although I think Greta Gerwig is a huge pull for that. Um, She's a really like um, respected filmmaker. I don't know if you've seen like Lady Bird Mm -hmm. or um, Pride and Prejudice. Yes. Um, I haven't seen either, but I I knew the name. Yeah. Um, So. You know, they knew what they were doing, getting her to do Barbie, and I think that set the stage for this. But I also think that their willingness 
to embrace the meme, mm-hmm. right? Both companies really willingness to embrace the meme in their marketing is really what took that over the top. And I think a lot of companies, a lot of people we work with, a lot of people we worked with over the years and in our careers are, I think they're afraid to, to be a meme or to embrace the meme, right? They, they see, you know, Wendy's having success with like a really opinionated uh, social media account, but they don't have the wherewithal to produce something like that on an ongoing basis. And then they don't, they're not set up to react when they become part of the conversation outside of their own actions. Mm-hmm. And so Greta had a fan base like before this. So does Christopher Nolan. I'm more of a Nolan gal. They had all-star casts and both casts to your point, like, you know, the whole like double feature and which one do you watch first? And um, the actors from opposite films were promoting the other films and they were really leaning into it. And even other actors um, came into it. And the one example that stands out to me is Tom Cruise. It's like he posted on social media, he had tickets for both and it was back to back. And he had this whole monologue um, last summer about saving the movies. It's like, that's almost its own marketing campaign in and of itself. It's like the return to the movies and Top Gun Maverick helped the box office last summer. And this was the like culmination of helping the box office this summer. And before we started, Tony was like, I wonder what data points Casey would have for this. And I do actually have some numbers about Barbieheimer. Um, so collectively, the two movies this summer grossed worldwide $2.4 billion. And total for the summer box office growth, that was it was just over $4 billion. Compared to last summer, the gross was only $3.3 billion. So they helped add a billion dollars to the box office. Wow. Just, I mean, you'd have to attribute it to those two because yeah. everyone was talking about it. I mean, and it it became part of the conversation in a way. So my two backups, if we can. I want to hear the backups. Okay. So my two backups, one has a Richmond connection. And it's fairly recent, and that is Snoop Dogg and the Solo Stove. That was a good one. Was, like, pretty brilliant. I'm sure it rubbed some people the wrong way. People are going to be rubbed the wrong way anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Martin Agency has just a a tremendous ability to do ad campaigns that become part of the conversation, Mm -hmm. and this was another one. Um, I mean, I, I got texts about the teases of it, about him quitting. Right, Um. right. And and then they didn't drag it out too far after that. And, and it, it was be- only 24 or 48 hours, yeah, right? It yeah, wasn't long. Yeah. So that was a good one. Obviously, I don't have as much to say to that. It was probably why it became more of a runner up. And then I think the other I think the other big one is Taylor Swift and the Eras tour. Yeah. She's in her money making era. Yeah. And it's you can tell. <laughs> yeah. And the, and, you know, going to the movie directly. Beyonce did the same thing releasing the theaters directly. And um, I think it's an interesting, you know, for, for years now we've been working with clients about putting their message out on their own for a lot of reasons. They need to do that. But I, I think, you know, we're well through the social media era and talking to people directly. And I think, you know, going around the gatekeepers and having that direct connection with fans or stakeholders or, interested party customers, however you think about them. 
I also thought about the Swift Beyonce, but I didn't have as good of a name as Barbieheimer. So that's true. That's true. (laughs) All right. So we had some fantastic marketing communications highs. Let's talk about the lows. Okay. Well, I think you should go first for the low. So I will go first for the low, my Valley of 2023, which I feel like intentions were right going into this. The planning was maybe right in some capacities. And I feel like I don't usually get to see a a crisis or a or a fail happen in front of my eyes. But th- this one I actually saw in real time. Um, and I'm going with uh, Dylan Mulvaney and Bud Light. Oh, okay. So I have been following Dylan and her journey on social media. So I saw her post in April of this year. Um a piece of sponsored content to promote a contest that Bud Light had going. And I remember my one of my first thoughts when I saw that was, this feels like a departure for Bud Light. And Bud Light, in the days after this, this post happened, they talked about their inclusive marketing practices and how they were evolving their DEIB plan. But the backlash and the um, just rolling downhill that every part of that campaign had. It broke my heart for Dylan because she went offline for a month and she took the brunt of this marketing collaborative partnership. Then Bud Light, just from a business perspective, you know, they had Kid Rock coming on social media with assault rifles, blowing up cases of beer. They had people boycotting and it was just this social media backlash that exploded. And um, to this day, so I say that to this day, but it's been nine months almost since they they had this partnership. Um, Q3 numbers, their revenue was still 13% down. Their CMO of Anheuser-Busch resigned this year. And they have lost the, the title of the top best-selling beer in the marketplace. And I think it's so, the whole thing just, I don't even know what to say about it. Like, because I love Dylan as a creator, it seemed like a departure. And now I feel like Bud Light and Anheuser-Busch are going like hyper-masculine to, to make up for the people that were up in arms with this partnership in spring. Yeah. They weren't really prepared to own it. It Mm -hmm. was, it, it was a weird fit for the brand. Mm-hmm. In general, mm-hmm. like even not just f- for Dylan, the idea of sending, you know, TikTokers or creators cans with their picture on it. Right. I, you know, I I haven't researched this, but I'd be interested to hear a retrospective of like what their thought process was. Right. And coming it, up with that. It, um, it, it was a contest that I was, it was at a time I was like connected to, I, I feel like Dylan's post was about March Madness or kind of leaned into March Madness. It was early April. Um, so it, it seemed jarring for me when I first saw it because it seemed like a, a little bit of a mismatch partnership. Um, but just the the aftermath has been yeah interesting to see. I sometimes see discourse online about campaigns and things that companies do that once they're in the world, they are obviously a misfire. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, think, oh, like, what were they thinking? Like, why would they do something like this? And I, I think for most people, they haven't been on the other side of that 
you know, staring at a blank whiteboard, trying to come up with campaigns that are going to get attention in an economy that is just saturated with information. Everybody is scrolling constantly. Their feeds are full of stuff. They're, you know, everybody's busier than ever. That's we're still in the golden age of television, right? It's hard to get people's attention. Well, and it, they got attention, but probably not the attention that they probably were. Probably not the attention that they, they wanted. For. That's awesome. Um, well, and I have some some cool threads to pull from this, but I want to hear what your valley is first. So I, I thought of a few things again, but I think my number one, and for me, this is because it's been so valuable to me over my career, but it's been the fall of Twitter. Mm. or x Mm -hmm. as as it goes by now um i looked up a stat one year after the takeover um global web traffic to twitter.com was down 14 percent year over year and uh traffic to the ads.twitter.com portal for advertisers was down 16.5 percent this is according to an ap news um and on mobile, 17.8% year over year combined monthly active users on iOS and Android. So that's a huge, huge drop. I think sometimes the people that are really plugged into social media, I mean, a lot of people I know are off of Twitter and some of them have been off for a while. Um, I think a lot of people still are on Twitter. Like, I think we underestimate how many people still are on Twitter and there's sports is still really big there. Breaking news is still really big. Um, but I think, you know, it's just, I couldn't have possibly imagined how poorly it would go. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I think we had conversations at the end of last year, like WTF is, is going on with Twitter. And I still feel that to this day. I mean, I think for a lot of our clients, we've, we've moved away from it, not really from the standpoint of, of brand safety anymore. I mean, that was like kind of the hot conversation this time last year, but it's more of just it's it's so uncertain and it's like whatever comes out of Elon Musk's mouth one day might impact, you know, all kinds of things. And with payment structures, that sort of prevents some of our clients from participating. I mean, state agencies have a hard time, you know, having a reoccurring $8 expense a month isn't that big of a deal on paper, but logistically can be hard. Um, so there's just so much unknown. It's hard to navigate it and it's easier to just set it aside, let it get stable and you can revisit it in another strategy conversation. I think Twitter has always been something that punched above its weight. Mm -hmm. You know, there were there compared to other social media platforms, there was hardly anybody was on Twitter. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think the, it was the right people to make Twitter part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of media people were on there, a lot of celebrities, but just a lot of, People out there posting really creative and interesting things. Um, The Verge had a special podcast. uh, They do Land of the Giants is a podcast where they do like mini series on different things. And they did a series on Twitter that's really excellent. You can listen to and kind of hear the ins and outs of how some of that went. I also think, you know, Elon Musk famously for his companies does not like PR people. He right. doesn't have PR people. I, I think we've discussed this. Doesn't before. do advertising. It doesn't do advertising. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, you see things like Linda Yaccarino being on stage and just saying the wrong, like saying things that don't help their message. Mm-hmm. Um, she's in a tough spot, obviously, but um, 
yeah, I think it's a good reminder to not only, I think, have communications professionals, but then to listen to them. Yeah. And so I had a backup for this conversation, too, because I, I thought everyone was going to go Bud Light. Um, and I also recalled, and I don't know if this is causation or correlation, but the Bud Light event was April. And then June is Pride Month. And Target had a lot of backlash this year from its Pride section um, to the point where they had to pull it in some stores because there was violence against employees. And that was something else that went on social media and exploded. And what I think with 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 my two um, examples, it's that whole purpose-driven sort of marketing strategies yeah. It's like if you're not ready to stand up for it and like 100% say this is yeah. our belief system, it crumbles. I think so. Like so. even if there hadn't been negative backlash from people who oppose um, you know, these DEI initiatives, there may have been negative backlash from the people in those communities who don't want to be, you know, worn like a coat. Yeah. And I think what what I want to do is tie all of these examples together because I feel like there's a common thread and it's sort of the power of the people in a way. So it's like Bar- Barbie Barbenheimer, Barbie Oppenheimer. Um, that was this really super positive social media word of mouth army machine that was created. The memes, the reels with "Hi Ken" in all of those uh, sounds that came from that movie. Um, same with the. With the Bud Light example, that went viral in a negative way. And then the individual movement on Twitter, you know, there was threads that was launched. People flocked. People publicly declared, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on X anymore. And I think it shows that's like we can't control everything. Like you may have you may have the best intention, the best envision. Elon Musk knew exactly what he wanted to do, knows exactly what he wanted to do. He has very strong visions. But like it may not resonate with the feelings of your audience or your user base. Yeah, absolutely. I think that just goes to show you need to have some introspection, understand your company, your brand, where you are in the world. And if it's not where you want it to be, I think you need to do a lot of work to to get to where you want to be. You can't just layer marketing over top of it. And it's not going to pass the sniff test. People are know it's going to know it's not authentic. Yeah. And to your point, listen to your comms people. So before you put this beautiful thing that you've worked so hard out into the world, maybe talk about messaging. Maybe talk about hypotheticals. Maybe do a little media training before right. <laughs> before something goes live. Make sure your frontline employees are armed with, you know, talking points if the phones do start to ring or, you know, if social media does blow up. Yeah. Community managers on social, that kind of thing. All right. So – this was a reflective. I'm going to do a quick, uh, what's the opposite of reflective? Looking ahead. Is there a singular word for that? Or are we just going to look ahead? Perspective? Perspective? Sure. Um, so what do we want to see? What do we want our peaks of marketing to be in 2024? That's a really good question. Um, I think I think the, the, the way forward is, is going to have to be looking for those authentic opportunities to connect directly with the people who are important to you. If, if that's, you know, if you're a state agency, that might be, you know, citizens or, you know, the community, if you're 
a company that sells a product that's going to be your customers, if you're B2B, that's going to be, you know, um, your clients, Mm -hmm. I think we need to organize our marketing programs around making sure that we're putting an authentic version of ourselves forward in that marketing. And I think we're going to have to avoid the AI trap in order to do that. Yeah. I think AI is really interesting now. That was one of my one of my potential uh, misses for the year was going to be um, OpenAI and the whole firing of their CEO and rehiring him. That was very interesting, and maybe that's a, a topic for another time. We'll save it for the twenty twenty four schedule. <laughs> but uh, I think you know the value of that kind of generated information and images is just going to get less and less as it becomes more ubiquitous. I think you need to make sure that you're using those tools to, you know, improve what you're putting out and not to replace, you know, the human effort and the human thought and the, you know, campaign relevance. And I'm dovetailing from what you just said into mine because I not, I'm not a doomsday person, but I just, I see what's happening. Next year is an election year, which is my least favorite year because it tends to be divisive. It tends to be a Debbie Downer. There's so much conversations. There's so much content out there because it's political ad season. So I'm looking forward to joyful, authentic, creative content. So maybe that's the rise of or the continued rise of the creator. Like, give me some, like, not mega budget crazy ideas like give me something relatable from someone that could be my neighbor that's what i want to see authenticity yes here's hoping let's put it on our wish list (laughs) for 2024 awesome well hopefully uh tony and i have given you all something to listen to on your drive over the holiday maybe a flight if you're delayed this is a perfect little podcast to put in when you're going over the river and through the woods through the woods. Um, awesome. Well, we'll call this a wrap for today, and we'll be back in 2024 with another exciting lineup of Teaming Up episodes. Thanks, Casey. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for listening to the Teaming Up podcast. Teaming Up is brought to you by the Hodges Partnership a strategic communications agency that specializes in storytelling through public relations, media relations, content marketing, and social media. The Teaming Up podcast is a happy committee production. Episodes are released monthly. Subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you never miss an episode.